0: please be seated. Well, good morning, and as Alex said, uh, this is the start of a new church year. Uh, The secular calendar starts in January 1st with fireworks and new resolutions and lots of celebrations. I imagine especially the end of 2020, it'll be a big celebration. The start of the church year starts with a a season of penitence, (laughs) and a season of expectantly looking and hoping and waiting for the real joy that is to come to us. The season of Advent is a season where we're looking in different directions at the same time. We're looking back toward when Jesus came 2,000-some years ago, uh, born into Bethlehem, born to save us from our sins. But we're also looking forward, forward to when he's promised to come again, The word Advent just means arrival or coming. So we're looking for Jesus coming both in the past and in the future and how it affects us here in the present. So Advent is this beautiful and, and weird season in which we're at the same time looking back, proclaiming Jesus has come and looking forward and praying, come Lord Jesus. And we want to use this series that we're entering into in these next four weeks uh, to look at John the Baptist, who was Jesus' relative, who was the prophet that came to prepare the way for the Lord. So we want to look at John's life and his ministry and what they have to say to us about this moment in time where we stand in the middle between the past and the future and how are we then to live here in the present. So John is, uh, plays, factors very heavily into the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and that's where our focus is going to be this morning. Uh, the Gospel of Luke starts with a birth narrative, uh, but not the birth narrative of Jesus first. It starts with the birth of John first, which is really interesting. So John comes to prepare the way, and just like Jesus, John's birth was foretold to his parents by a visit from an angel. So at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 1, verses 16 17, an angel has appeared to Zechariah, a priest in the temple, and he foretells the birth of John, even in their old age of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the angel says that John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John is going before what is to come. He's going before God's Messiah, the salvation that he's bringing. And the main thing that's said over and over again about John's fulfillment of the Old Testament is that he's the one that's come to prepare the way for the Lord. We read that in our Malachi reading, Malachi chapter 3, and we'll also read that in Isaiah chapter 40. John came to prepare the way for the Lord, that's Jesus. He did this by preaching, by, being, uh, uh, by baptizing, by calling people to repentance, and he was a figure who's kind of on the margins of society, a, an oddball. He, he lived out in the wilderness, he dressed in camel's hair, he ate locusts and honey, a weird guy, but from that place of weirdness, being able to preach to Israel, to God's people, and prepare the groundwork for Jesus' coming. So, we want to look in this series of using John and his ministry as a figure for us of how we can prepare the way for the Lord where we are. So, I'm going to look at our, our gospel reading in Luke and focus especially on the song of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah uh, that he gives. So this is in uh, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67. Um, but prior to this, we, re- we read that John has just been born. And at the, the naming ceremony, at the circumcision, eight days after his birth, according to Jewish law, they come and they want, his relatives want to name him Zechariah after his father. Zechariah has been mute since he doubted the angel's prophecy, and uh, he writes on a tablet that his name is John. And his mouth is opened, and the first thing that comes out of Zechariah's mouth as he's holding his newborn is these words of praise, and inspired by the Spirit, these words of prophecy. So I imagine, and I don't have any historical data to back this up or in the text, but I imagine that as Zechariah is... Saying this prophecy, he's got his little eight-day-old newborn in his arms. And as he holds this, uh, this sign of the fulfillment of God's promise in his arms, he bursts forth in praise and through the Spirit utters this prophecy. So he begins his song, his prophecy, by saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people.'" As he holds his child in his arms, Zechariah is recognizing that something big is happening here. And he praises the God who is bringing salvation. Who's visiting and redeeming his people. And he's holding proof of that in his arms. And the main point of this prophecy that he he sings is that it's the fulfillment of God's plan from ages past generations, centuries, Israel has been waiting and longing and hoping for this moment, and it's happening. He sings and and prophesies about the whole story of God and his people Israel that's led up to this point. What God promised to Abraham is finally being brought to its completion. They've been waiting for generations and centuries, hearing nothing from God. There's been this gap of 400 years where there's been no True prophet of God, where Israel has heard nothing from God but silence. And they've been living in darkness. They've been feeling beaten down by their political enemies and oppressors, living in the spiritual darkness and silence. But Zechariah, the father of John, holds in his arms this promise that God will no longer be silent, that God will no longer uh, be distant that he's coming to us, that he's bringing his salvation, knowing that God is always faithful on his promise. He will never fail. He's shown time and time again. And now here's a tangible sign that God's promised salvation is coming. Zechariah's prophecy proclaims that the time now has come, that all of these promises that have been made through the last several uh, centuries and generations are now coming to their fulfillment. God's people will no longer live in silence or feel a lack of God. There will no longer be any doubt that God is with them. Salvation is coming to God's people. And so Zechariah praises the Lord who brings this salvation. He talks about what this salvation will look like. It's about deliverance from our enemies He says in uh, verse 74, 75, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And he's not talking just about deliverance from political enemies. You know, God hasn't come to deliver them from the Romans. He's not come to squash out our enemies, whatever they might be. But he's come to deliver us from our, our true enemy, which is sin and death. This promised salvation is coming to bring us deliverance from our sins. So that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. That we might be a people then who are set apart for him, again, to worship him. It all comes back to worship. So he's been prophesying this and with his child held in his arms. And then in verse 76, he finally turns his attention to his son. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John, who's just an eight-day-old baby, is going to play a crucial role in this. Not the central role, but a crucial one nonetheless. He's going to be a prophet of the Lord to prepare the way for his coming. And he's going to do this by giving knowledge of salvation And the forgiveness of sins. John is not the one who's going to save the people. But he's going to tell the people how their salvation is coming. He's preparing the way for the true Savior. By telling people, here's what salvation is going to look like. Here's how your forgiveness of sins can be brought about. And then verse 78-79. Zechariah says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God is bringing this about because of his tender, loving, fatherly mercy. Because he loves his people and he delights to bring them salvation. And he, just as much as we might have been longing for salvation, he's been longing to bring it. And this will come like the sunrise, lighting up the dark, pushing away the darkness. And when the sun rises in the morning, the darkness isn't able to push back against that. The darkness can only be overwhelmed by the light. Darkness isn't actually a force in itself. It's just a lack of light. So when the sunrise comes, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be overwhelmed. It cannot be overcome. And so is God's salvation. That it comes as sure and as powerful as the rising of the sun. Where night has covered us. Where night has rained and darkness has rained. The dawn is coming. Isaiah says that those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And Zechariah might even be alluding to that verse here from Isaiah 9. But he's saying that this coming salvation is as sure as the rising of the sun. So if you're confident that tomorrow morning the sun is going to rise, and day is going to come, you can have that same level of confidence in Jesus. You can have that same assurance in his salvation that's coming to you. And that same assurance that he will come again, it's as sure as the rising of the sun. And for us who feel like we've been living in darkness, who maybe some feel like they've living, been living in the silence of God, the dawn is coming. Light is shining upon you. Salvation that's long promised long-awaited, long-prayed for, is coming to God's people. And John is born into this moment to prepare the way. So in light of the salvation that's coming, we want to look for a little bit at what it means to prepare the way. What did it mean for John, and what does it mean for us? The idea of preparing the way assumes that something is coming. So we have this expectation that something big is coming that requires preparation. And to prepare the way means that there's a path that needs to be made and a way that needs to be uh, carved out for a smooth coming of, of what is coming. It's about removing obstacles, making a clear path for the real work to be done. Isaiah 40 talks about every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain brought low, so that there's a clear pathway for the king who's coming. And I liken it to the idea of doing work so that the real work can be done. Uh, Sometimes when I'm driving through these hills of western Pennsylvania, you drive along a road, and right next to you on your right is a cliff wall. And then you look on the other side of the road, and there's another cliff wall on the other side of the road. And there have been moments, I grew up in Indiana where everything's flat, so I'm still in awe of this sometimes, where you realize they blew through a mountain to make this road. They, some civil engineer decided that it would be, it would be more prudent, more cost-effective, rather than taking the road around the mountain or the hill, to just blow up a mountain and, and to make way for the road to go straight through. There's intense and, and uh, powerful work that needed to be done in order to make the way for this road. A way had to be prepared. A path had to be made smooth. But preparing the way is about working with expectancy, knowing that something much greater, something much more important is coming, so things must be made ready. I must be made ready. The world around me must be made ready for the coming of God's salvation. For John, his ministry, this meant like the angel prophesied about him, it meant turning hearts toward the Lord turning people's hearts toward God and expecting the salvation that was coming. He preached a message of repentance, saying, turn away from your sins and wait for God to come and rescue you. He baptized people as a way of, of doing that, of washing away sins and waiting for God's redemption. He always spent his ministry pointing ahead towards the one that was to come, the Messiah, the Savior that was coming after him, the 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 laces of his sandals he was not worthy to tie. John was coming before the most important event in the history of the world. That's Jesus. And you think about the coming of the most important event in the history of the world, that happened 2,000 years ago, that's going to be happening at some undetermined point in the future. And it happens to us even now. When Jesus comes into our lives, it's the single most important event in the history of our lives. It's the most significant thing that can ever happen to a person to encounter Jesus Christ and to know him as Lord and Savior. So for us, preparing the way can sometimes look a lot like it did for John. We can talk about preparing the way for the Lord in a variety of contexts. In the coming weeks, we're going to dive more deeply into these various areas, but I want to briefly kind of touch on two ways that we can prepare the way for the Lord in the world and in ourselves. So in the world around us, we know that Jesus is coming and Jesus desires to come into people's lives. Jesus desires to turn people's lives upside down, to save them from their sins and to bring them into the family of God. Salvation is coming into this world, and we, God's people, God's ambassadors, have a task before us to prepare the way in the world. That means we're always, like John, pointing people toward Jesus, pointing people toward the one, the only one who can save them, bearing witness to the reality of the kingdom of God that is so much better. So much more beautiful, so much more eternal and everlasting than this world has to offer. It means calling people to repentance, as John did. It means gently and lovingly and with grace and kindness, pointing out to people that the brokenness, the emptiness that they experience in this life has a name and it's it's sin. And it's, it's an offense to God who made them and who loves them. And God has given us good news in Jesus Christ as a remedy for sin. All of us Christians are called to bear witness to Jesus, to point towards him as John did, a point towards the only one who can save the world. And think about those whom you know, your family your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, those who don't know the Lord, who don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And think about how God loves them and God wants to meet them and to encou- for them to encounter Him, for their lives to be turned upside down, for the most significant event in, the, in their entire lives to be to meet Jesus. Coming to know Him would turn everything upside down, would change their lives for all of eternity. God wants that for them. And you have an opportunity to prepare his way by bearing witness to Jesus, by, by showing how the, what the kingdom of God looks like, by showing the beauty and the abundance of living life in Christ, by calling them to repentance when needed. We are called to prepare God's way in this world. We're also called, though, to prepare his way in ourselves. And this is what we talk about when we talk about discipleship, being disciples of Jesus, following after him. Because Jesus' salvation is coming to us. His redemption is coming to us. His Holy Spirit is coming to transform us. And we have the task in ourselves of preparing his way. And one of the ways that we can do this is through what are commonly called spiritual disciplines. These are these time-tested practices and activities of the Christian life that have been proven over and over again of saying, this is not what saves you, but this is how to live in the Christian life and so that you will flourish and grow in Christ. I'm talking about things like prayer, scripture, coming to church and living in Christian community, tithing, giving, fasting. All of these things that uh, are have come to be known as this is what Christians do, but it's not about making you a good Christian. It's about preparing the way for Jesus to transform you. Now, one illustration of this that struck me recently was uh, in, in our household, Saturday mornings are for chores and, and pancakes. But Pancakes first, then chores. One of my chores after, after eating pancakes is vacuuming uh, the house and doing the bathrooms. But I try to get to the vacuuming as quickly as possible after breakfast because my kids have this amazing talent of destroying the house in a very short amount of time by scattering all their toys and, and things all over the floors. And so I have to uh, encourage them and tell them and command them and work with them uh, to pick up their toys so that I can vacuum. And there's a work that needs to be done and a cleaning that needs to get done so that the real cleaning can get done. So I have to help them to clean up the living room so that I can I can vacuum. The real cleaning needs to get done, but there's a, a, a cleaning that needs to get done in order to make way for that. So When we talk about spiritual disciplines, when we talk about preparing the way for the Lord, we're talking about the work that needs to be done so that the real work can get done. And Jesus is the one that does the real work in us. And all that we can do is make a sure and straight path for him to do that. To make sure there is no obstacle in his way from the work that he wants to do in transforming us and making us holy. So when I read scripture, it's not about making myself holy. It's not about just training my mind, but it's about allowing the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus to transform me and to make me holy. When I pray, it's not about trying to make myself holy or or a better person. It's about putting myself in a position where Jesus can transform me. And Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, which I'd strongly recommend as a great book on the Christian life, talks about the spiritual disciplines in this way. He says that the spiritual disciplines are for the sake of putting ourselves in a position where Jesus can transform us. They are not the real work, but they're making the way for the real work to be done. This is the life of the Christian. This is the life that we call discipleship. Not that I make myself holy, but that I prepare the way for Jesus to make me holy. These things that we do in the world and in ourselves, these will not save us. These cannot save us or make us holy, but they prepare the way for Jesus to bring his salvation, his transformation. Preparing the way for the Lord means ensuring that no obstacle is going to stand in his way. Nothing is going to obstruct the work that he wants to do in me or in the world. It's about laying the groundwork for the real work to be done by our Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can save. And John the Baptist gives us an excellent model for how to do that. And Zechariah's prophecy that we read shows us that this salvation is coming as sure as the dawn. And so we need to be living our lives with this expectation that Jesus is coming. And think about that maybe God wants to do a new work in you. Maybe he wants to do a new work in your loved ones or your co-workers. Maybe he wants to bring a fresh outpouring of his spirit upon you or your loved ones. How are you called to prepare his way to make his path straight and easy. Advent is the season that we recognize that Jesus has come. Jesus is coming and even now Jesus wants to come to you. How will we prepare his way? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful promise and I thank you for the assurance of your coming and of your salvation which is the only thing that can save us and redeem us. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. And we ask for that grace to help us prepare your way. Amen.